Good morning, everyone. It's good to be in the house of the Lord together, isn't it? Yeah. Amen. One of the, as you all know, I, I umpire baseball during the spring and summer seasons. And it's something that I'm getting a lot more spiritually out of than I thought I would. I thought it was just going to be a way to get back into the game, which I was basically playing since I could walk. But I've really been learning a lot from it. Um, one of the, if you ever see before a game or if you've ever gone to a game, you see the the umpires meeting with the two managers at the plate before everything starts. And if maybe you've seen that, maybe you haven't. They don't always show it on TV. But there's a pre-game plate meeting that happens that we have to do. And one of the, the first question we always ask to both managers, is your team properly equipped? Is your team properly equipped? And they have to answer yes and so forth, which implies that they have all the necessary equipment and legal within the bounds of the, the rules set of the game. It transfers liability from the umpire to the manager. Okay, so if somebody comes in with equipment that's not correct, then I can say, manager, you're ejected from the game for sending somebody up to the field without proper equipment. It also prevents people from getting injured. If somebody, think about a catcher coming to the plate to catch without a face mask, right? That would be ridiculous and dangerous. But also if a batter comes to the plate with a bat that's illegal, a lot of these bats are not, are are juiced, if you will, for certain age groups. And if you came with a high school bat at a 10-year-old game and it came off at 100 miles an hour, you could injure somebody in the field who's not used to seeing something like that. So it covers not only liability, but the safety and protection of the players on the field. And it all comes down to, are they properly equipped? And I was thinking about this over and over again. Are we properly equipped? And I was going back to a memory a long time ago. I think we were still in Virginia and I had just taught an online course for ZCU, one of the few that I was able to do. And I took all my papers and I was supposed to grade them, which is not a super enlightening thing to do, as I'm sure our dean of, dean of schools, both of you guys could probably attest. <clears throat> so I took them all and I'm like, I'm just going to get out of the house so I don't get distracted. I'm just going to lock in and I'll go to Starbucks and I'll put my headphones in and I won't be distracted. So I got a coffee and I was reading and it might even have been your paper. I'm not sure, but I was reading the papers and I looked out as I prone to do people watch and I saw something happening. I saw a discipleship kind of meeting taking place and there was a one person talking to another person. They had their Bible open, they had an outline and they were following a book of some sort. I was able to glean it was from some local church nearby. And this one person who was supposed to be doing the instructing was not properly equipped. Because every time this other person would ask a question, I don't know, I guess we'll just have to ask the pastor. I don't know, I guess we'll just have to ask the pastor. It's not in my outline here, so I guess we'll just have to ask the pastor. And I'm like going bananas on the other side going, what is wrong with you? Just look it up. But not properly equipped. They did not have the answers to the questions that they were being asked. And I felt so sad about that. I was like, oh, Lord, this is a problem. And I was just talking to somebody yesterday who was a fellow umpire who we were talking before the game. He's a Christian. He's a believer as well. And he's like, I'm doing a Bible study tomorrow. Can you pray for me? 
Sure, no problem. What are you teaching? Oh, my pastor just gives me an outline and I just walk him through filling in the blanks. I'm like, wait a minute, your pastor gives you the outline? And I'm just, but what are you teaching? I'm not really doing anything. I'm just walking them through the... So I'm like, you're not really teaching, you're facilitating the conversation, which is two different things. But I'm like, this poor guy just walking through the outline. And I'm like, oh Lord, we've got a problem. Not properly equipped. What do, what do you do if they ask questions? Well, I just refer them to the book and tell them to talk to the pastor. And I'm like, this poor pastor is probably getting like hundreds of questions, right? <laughs> and if it's a big church, it's like, oh boy. I feel like it's a common trend where people aren't properly equipped to share with believers on topics. Now, we don't see it a lot here because we don't have that lot of new, a lot of new people. But stats back this up. I looked it up this morning. 2011 study by the Barna Group said that 20% of young people that stop attending church regularly do so because they didn't feel connected with their local church. They didn't feel fed. The Guardian posted a, uh, an article called Losing Their Religion, which highlights the increase of non-religious population in the United States. In 2019, 4,500 Protestant churches closed in the United States, while only 3,000 opened new churches, which means there is a 1,500 net loss of church growth in just in the Protestant area for the first time since they started tracking things like this. A net decrease in church growth. And that trend has continued. That was 2019, the stats that they were referencing, and that's continued even though they haven't been able to fully back it up yet with facts, but due to COVID and other things, it's pretty clear. So the church is becoming less and less equipped to manage new believers, and yet we all know we're heading towards a time when there's going to be the greatest influx of new believers that the world has ever or will ever see, right? Do we all believe that? I believe that, right? Doesn't that seem a little bit paradoxical? We're heading into the greatest increase in the church that we've ever seen, and yet we're less and less equipped to handle the growth that we're about to see. So I ask myself, am I properly equipped? Are we properly equipped to handle that influx? Now, we could talk about the church as a whole, and I think that's a completely different message for a completely different audience. But us, are we properly equipped to handle the growth that's coming in. There are two main events in Jesus's ministry and one of his parables that illustrate the fact that multitudes of believers will come in to the church during revival and they highlight the need for maturity and being properly equipped in discipleship in the ministry. These two events are two miraculous catches of fish from Luke 5, and John 21, and the parable is, of course, the parable of the dragnet found in Matthew 13. When examined carefully, they'll demonstrate the need for the transformative work that needs to take place when people are coming in and the need for the disciples, us, to be equipped to handle and deal with and help people take place. So let's first look at Luke's, Luke's experience with the net. We can find this in Luke chapter 5. Verses four through six. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets 
for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their nets broke. The volume of fish caught was so great that the nets broke. And even a seasoned fisherman was amazed at this miraculous volume of fish in verse 9. He comments. And after this miracle, Peter, James, and John left their secular jobs as fishermen and followed Christ because the very next verse he says, Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Verse 10. In the last days, this is a comment, this is an excerpt from Dr. Karam's book in the Synoptic Gospels. In the last days, when the conditions in the world are at their very darkest, God's light will arise upon those who have prepared their hearts. And the Gentiles will come to that light. But the key is preparation. Here, this net broke. The net broke. It wasn't able to maintain the volume of fish that came in. And I believe that's important. As it illustrates the danger, as we all know, fish, we can easily allude to fish, fishers of men. These are souls, right? The broad end souls. This is a, a simple comparison to make. And when nets break and fish are lost, it doesn't take, it's a reasonable stretch to say there's a dangerous possibility of losing converted people through lack of preparation and lack of development in our own lives as the fishers, right? As the fishers of men. We have to be prepared. The fishermen were not ready to take in that volume of miraculous fish. They weren't prepared to receive the increase. Now, it's important to point out the difference between this one and the next one. This was at the beginning of the ministry. Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So he's recruiting. He's actively recruiting. And I think that's an important point to point out. These were, this was John and Peter B.C., if you will, before Christ. Now let's fast forward. John chapter 21. Verse 6 first. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find fish. They cast therefore, and now they were able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Verse 11. Simon went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 150 and three. And for all there were so many, and yet was not the net broke. Now the net's not broken. This is after three and a half years or so with Christ being taught, being instructed, being mentored, being discipled, not just teaching them and showing them, but practically allowing them to go out two by two at first, come back, tell me what you learned, talk, tell me what you did, and then instructing them some more. Hey guys, you're arguing about who's the greatest, but let me tell you what it really means to the greatest. After all of that, there's a tremendous amount of maturity that's taken place and still to come, of course. But now the net's don't break. Christ had trained his disciples. This was even after the resurrection, right? In, here in John, after the resurrection. Christ had trained his disciples and he was about to send them forth into the world saying, go and teach, go and make disciples, go and evangelize. I've equipped you. And it's almost like, I feel like this was on purpose, gathering in this net, almost like 
I remember when it broke before. And here it is. Now it's not going to break. It's almost like a a subtle thing here. It's not so subtle, actually. It's pretty pretty blatant. <laughs> remember three years ago when the nets broke? Now go out. You're ready now. You weren't before. You are now. What a great thought. And I thought, and again, I was reading through Pastor Karim's uh, commentary here just to refresh my memory. If God, he says in his book, if God were to give us the net full of converts today, would we be able to keep them or would we lose them? Which means are we properly equipped to handle this? Now the parable of the dragnet. Matthew 13, 47, all the way through 52, but we'll, we'll read just a 50 here at the beginning. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore, sat down and sorted the good in containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate evil from righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The world is this vast sea and men will be gathered in. All will be gathered in here at this point and separated the good from the bad, the evil from the righteous. This teaches us about evangelism that without discrimination, everyone has the opportunity to come in and everyone is gathered in and the evil and the righteous are separated. But the thing I wanted to focus on here is that this vast quantity of all types of fish, gathered fish of every kind without discrimination. Whenever I considered these verses in the past, I would think, Lord, what are we going to do with all these fish? And that's a pretty easy thought to think about. Look around in this building right now. Could we handle a thousand people? <laughs> hey, Pastor Daniel, I want to come to your church. Um, yeah, only 20 of you at max right now, <laughs> right? It's a logistical problem that's common to think about. And in my position at work, it's often things I think about. Wait a minute, I've only got 10 seats. What am I supposed to do? Lord, what are we going to do with all these fish? But I went to El Salvador in 2013, and my eyes were, for, my, my eyes were forever opened, and my understanding completely changed about this topic. I was taken to a dock in San Salvador where fisher, fisher boats come in from their journeys around the area, and they're dropped off and cleaned and paid and all of the things that fishermen do. And I was taken there by Raul and some of his family at just to see, and we went to a restaurant and got basically fish that was taken right out of the water and put on the plate, which was very good. And I saw the drag nets that they use for fishing, and they're so much bigger than I ever even imagined they would be, like literally lining up a 40 or 50-foot dock with just layers and layers that they just throw out and catch. And I saw the harvest that was brought in, and it was the most unique collection of fish that I had ever seen. It was like, oh, because where I'm from in Michigan, you oh, we're going to get trout today, or we're going to get bass, and maybe a walleye if we're lucky. And so that's like three, but there was just everywhere diff different kinds of fish because they just dragged the bottom and pulled it out of the Gulf or the ocean. And then I look over and I see uh, a, a, this guy who you would, if I said, describe a fisherman, you'd be like, okay, 
that's the guy right there. You look at him and go, that guy's a fisherman. He's all tanned and leathered and got half a finger. And I mean, just, you could tell this guy spent his life gathering fish. And he's got a stingray or a manta ray, whatever you will, on his table. And he's, I'm, and, I, and it's just laying there. And I said, I have no idea how to clean that fish. No idea what to do. And I'm going to watch because I want to see what he does because I've never seen this before. And he's got a knife about this long and he's just two minutes later, it's all done and set aside and the whole deal. And I said, wow, I know how to fish, but that guy's a fisherman. And there's two different things. I know how to fish. I can do a pole and a line, but that guy is an expert. He knows what he's doing. There's no way I could clean that fish. I don't have the necessary skills. And as I was walking away, the Lord said to me very clearly, all types of fish. And that guy could have cleaned whatever was on his table. He would have known what to do with. No problem. Just, and he had a knife about that long. Later on that evening after the meeting, we were going home and there's a, there's a certain area of El Salvador that we had, or San Salvador that we had to pass through. Not exactly the most Christian friendly area. Okay. There's a lot of stuff going on in the streets that you don't really want to see. There's a lot of areas like that, but that's okay. And as we're driving through, seeing drunkenness and so forth, people in the streets and carrying on, I kind of looked and the Lord said, all types of fish. And I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. All types of fish. See, we're not going to get in during this in-gathering Everybody who's coming in all prim and proper, okay, show me the way. You're going to get people from all different areas. No discrimination. With no discrimination, the gospel is shared completely for anyone who wants to come in. The door is open for everyone. Well, that means we have to know what to do, <laughs> right? Whether it's a manta ray or a bass or a trout or a whatever. All types of fish. Then I said in a different way, but the same words... Lord, what are we going to do with all these fish? What are we going to do? So I ask you, as I'm asking myself, because I was reminded of this, because we've been talking a lot about revival that's coming, and it's awesome, it's great, it's so exciting. But Lord, what are we going to do with all these fish? Are we going to be ready? Right? Am I ready? Are you ready? Are we ready? Lord, equip us properly. There's a real danger of not being equipped like that person at Starbucks or like my fellow, like my friend. I don't know. Let me go ask the pastor. Oof. Ouch. First of all, if I was the pastor, I'd be like, don't send 50 people and have them start calling me. <laughs> Answer the question yourself. <laughs> right? <clears throat> but it's a real thing. And it's not just something I saw at Starbucks. Hebrews 5, 12 through 13. <clears throat> Paul is admonishing these people saying, you should be teachers, but you have need that one teach you again, which, you, which were the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as having need of milk and not strong drink. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Paul is, a, this is, this is a pretty harsh. I mean, Paul was pretty direct anyway in general, but this is a pretty harsh thing to say. He says, you should be teaching, and yet now I've got to come and teach you again? You should be having milk, meat, strong meat, and I have to give you milk. 
this is, this is a harsh thing to say. And he was doing it in love. And of course, he's instructing them. And, you know, he goes on later to, to break it down in, in chapter six. And thankfully, we have that because it helps us unfold the foundational doctrines. But he says, you should know all this already. And yet here I am having to teach you again. How scary that is. Because unfortunately, I feel like in the, if the revival were coming today and we see all these people, there would be a lot of people in this category. You should be teaching. Yet now you, you've got to be taught. And by then it's too late. That's not the time to go back and say, oh, wait a minute, what was that again? The foundation of laying on of hands and eternal judgment. How does that work again? Way too late when there's a thousand people that need ministry. Because it can't be all him. It can't be all Pastor Tucker. It can't be all Pastor Wallace. Although everybody's capable, they can't minister to 500 people at a time. Right? We need to be equipped. Going all the way back to Matthew 13, 51 through 52, he's closing out the parable of the parables of the kingdom. And he asked them, have you understood all these things? And they said, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. A skillful, faithful minister of the gospel is a tribe who is well-versed in all things of the gospel and is able to not only understand them and learn them, but teach them. Christ compares him to a good housekeeper, a good house taker who understands what he's holding on to, what he's taking care of. And not just teaching new stuff, but old stuff too. And not just, oh, I've heard this message a million times. And it'd be easy for someone to watching online or something. Yeah, I've heard that before. Yes, we need to be prepared. Yes, we need to be teachers of righteousness. Yes, revival's coming. I've heard this a thousand times. Good. Here's 1001 because it's very important to have these old things dug in, like Pastor Karim used to say, we're making grooves. The deeper they go, the more uh, stable and founded we are in them. <clears throat> but looking for new things as well, not just staying in the old stuff, but saying, Lord, show us something new. Show us the deeper truths, that hidden manna. I want to know more. I want, there's, if we serve, in, we, since we serve an infinite God, there are infinite things that we can learn. Lord, show me something new. And he's more than willing. Pastor, uh, I'm stuck on Pastor Karim because this is a lot of rehearsing some of the things, but he used to tell us we have all of eternity. It's going to take all of eternity for us to fully grasp everything there is to know about God because he's infinite. So it's not just being stable and rehearsed in the old stuff, but saying, Lord, show me something new as well. All right. And then being able to teach 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust or commit to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. It's not just, I'm going to teach you and I'm going to teach you and teach you. No, you go teach somebody else. And that's what I love about what we do in, in the Bible schools or what we we the vision of what we do is, all right, I've taught you. I'm teaching you. I'm instructing you. Now you go and teach it. Is it going to be perfect every time? No, probably not. But the more you teach it, the more you learn, the better it's going to get. And the more you say, Lord, show me, right? And <clears throat> the person who, who 
popped into my brain around this particular topic is John Wesley. A wonderful example of somebody whose life and ministry produced leaders who were equipped to continue his message into future generations. When he died in 1791, it's thought that he left behind a church of 100,000 members and over 10,000 disciples following it in his footsteps. Could easily be considered one of the most impactful Englishmen for sure of the 18th century. I read a biography on him a while back that estimates he rode by horse over 250,000 miles, gave away over 30,000 pounds of money, and preached more than 40,000 sermons in his ministry. That is mind-blowing by horseback with no amplification, with no anything. People would just flock to see him. However, that's not what he's most successful for. It's all the people who carry on today even what he was taught. And why was that? Because he equipped people to do what he was doing and trusted them. Uh, I read something from, again, in that same biography, uh, he would put one in 10 or perhaps even one in five to work in significant ministry. If, if he had the opportunity to send somebody out to teach or do whatever, he would. And these were not just educated people, you know, the, the oh, I got my whatever. And he's, wow, oh, if you can teach and you're willing and you are sensitive to the leading of the Lord, go for it. They were eager to serve. And that's why he was able to continue on because he was equipping others and helping them. So we're equipped through teaching. We're equipped through learning, but we're also equipped through experience. Understanding is essential when working with a new believer. I've had the privilege of doing this a few times. You have to have the gift of understanding. You have to know how to skillfully use that knife, right? The sword, if you will. We have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and skillfully and rightfully divide the word of truth when we're, when we're discipling or mentoring or ministering to someone. I saw somebody one time, a new person got saved and they're like, okay, you got to read 10 chapters a day. You got to change all your clothes. You got to dump all your friends. You got to come to church three times a week for an hour and a half every time. And you could see the person who just met the Lord and they're on cloud nine, like all of the life went right out of them. Like, what? No one told me I was signing up for this. That's not the skillful application of the word, is it? All those things are probably true, but let the Lord deal with that. <laughs> right? You think of Peter chopping off Malchus's ear. I assure you that was not his intention. I don't think he was that skilled with the sword. He was a fisherman, not a warrior. He was trying to take his head off, and he missed and took his ear off. That's a misapplication of the sword, of the word, brought damage, brought injury. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? Stop that. It's not what I taught you to do, to heal him. And if I would have tried to dissect that manta ray on that dock in San Salvador, I would have made a horrific mess. And he wouldn't have been able to sell half of what he was able to sell after the expert was done. There is no cookie cutter, oh, this is it. This is your template. This is your thing. This is what you have to do. You have to be sensitive. And, and that comes with experience. That comes with understanding. That's why these times are so important, because we're learning things through trials, through struggles, 
through the day-to-day things that we all deal with, <laughs> walking with the Lord. So when a new person comes in, we can say, hey, come here. Let me share something with you. How many times have some of our mentors and teachers taught us, hey, come here, let me tell you something. Let me tell you how I made it through that, right? Isn't that more valuable than just saying, here, read this, right? So we get that. We understand time is short. And the thing is, this is the other paradox of this whole thing, is the time is short and it will be even shorter. We know this great revival is coming in here. It's going to be super condensed time frame as well. Three and a half years, seven years, however you want to look at it, wherever you want to fill all of that in time-wise. I'll tell you what, it's not going to be 60. It's not going to be 70 or 80. Remember one time you might have even been there. Pastor Bailey came to preach uh, at Zion Chapel, just a message. He goes, you know, the Lord's been working on me with this message for like 40 years. And we're all like, whoa, let's, yeah. But then I'm like, we're not going to be able to do that with a new believer coming in in the last days of revival. <laughs> we have to be able to share with them precise, refined truth that can bring them to maturity quickly because there's not enough time to wait around for 60 years and let God work on you. You got to do it quickly, right? Because Christ wants a mature bride. He wants maturity. And even those who are coming in in the last days are going to be brought into maturity. They're just going to be done more quickly. Why? Because the word's going to be more refined. His messengers, us, are hopefully going to be ready to share and help them be brought into maturity quickly because maturity brings strength to withstand intense persecution, which is also kind of the same thing that's going to be happening at the same time, if you understand how this all works. And I'm still learning that myself. You've got intense persecution, intense tribulation, as well as intense revival all happening at the same time. And the only time, the only way you're going to be able to Endure one is by being brought into maturity quickly through the other process, which means we've all need to be properly equipped. Amen. So, Lord, please equip us. They need to be fed with a message that is refined and precise. And where's that coming from? Us. Through the guiding of the Holy Spirit, of course. So Christ is preparing the church to shine forth. And really, the church is going to shine. It really is. It's going to. But are we going to be a part of that? And the only way we can do that is if we're properly equipped. Amen? Lord, equip us. Give us grace. Give us wisdom. Help us to discern when you're dealing with us so we can deal with it now. And help others through it later. Amen? Amen. Trust this was a blessing to you, Pastor Damon. Do you want to? Do you want me to close? Okay, I'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this word. We thank you so much for how you've been dealing with us and leading us. And Lord, we just ask that you would equip us, give us sensitivity, Lord, to know when you're leading us, when you're guiding us, to submit to your working, to submit to your dealing, Lord, so that we can be properly equipped when the time comes to lead your people into maturity quickly so we can all be part of that glorious bride without spot or wrinkle, Lord. We thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you.